0: Uh, My name is Parker Johnson, and I'm the pastor here at First Presbyterian Church in Bruton, Alabama. We're located at 336 uh, Belleville Avenue and also online at fpcbruton.org. Let's pray. Uh, So, Father, I pray that you would help us as we look at your word together. Uh, Father, I pray for those who are listening that you would give them a good week. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've been following along in our midweek devotionals, you'll remember that I've been looking um, at the book of Acts in my own personal devotion, and so I've been bringing some messages from there. Uh, Today, I actually want to kind of back up and and ask a question about Acts and what's going on there. And specifically, as we consider how we see the church grow, we see the Lord use apostles in a very significant way— to grow his church in the first century. Uh, acts is a transitional document. It's, a, it's the Word of God. I don't mean that. I, I, what I do mean is that it is a transitional, uh, it is the account of a time of transition when the New Testament church is really getting started up. Uh, the gospel is going forth, and you see Pentecost, and then the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in one region after the next. And, and so the question is, how does how does God do it? Well, he does it Primarily through you and me, normal people, but especially in the book of Acts, we see apostles. We see two apostles really highlighted in the book of Acts. Uh, can you think of who they are? Perhaps you can think of Paul, right? That's what we've been talking about some here recently. But not only Paul, there's another, another apostle. Can you think of him? It's, it's Peter. These are the two primary apostles we have in the book of Acts going forth. There's certainly others. They're doing great things. But the book of Acts really focuses on them. But have you ever wondered why we no longer have apostles? Now, let's be clear here, right? So there are some brothers and sisters in Christ who still have the office of apostle within their church government. In fact, there's a Pentecostal and Holiness congregation not far from here, just down the street. Um... That, uh, that is an apostolic church. And the pastor there, whom I've met and seems like a wonderful godly guy, he goes by uh, the name Apostle. So why is it within Reformed circles, and our church is a Reformed church, if you want to know more about that, uh, come talk to me, but why is it that we in a Reformed church, and most broadly evangelical churches are, are like this too, uh, why don't we have apostles? So let's talk about that. Well, first, let's talk about the meaning of apostle. Well, apostle is from the Greek word apostolos, and apostolos simply means one who is sent, and it and the verb are used in ways beyond just the sense of apostle that we would use today when we're talking about the apostle Paul or Peter. There's what we might call a big A apostle and a little A apostle. Now, it's not capitalized like that in the Bible, uh, but you do have to remember that uh, that there were no real capital letters in the Greek manuscripts. They were all written in lowercase. Um, But when we think about a big A or little a apostle, what we mean by that is that there is the big A apostle in the sense that Scripture uses it to speak of those of the office of apostle uh, that have special authority, which we'll talk about in a second, that are especially sent on a commission by Christ to establish his church. But then you have the sense of little a apostles. As we think about what the name apostle means, the one who is sent, in some ways we're all apostles, right? That when Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 28 to go therefore for, uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, commanding them to do all that I have com- uh, commanded you. Uh, there we um, read that we are sent ones, right? We are sent ones. So we might say we're all little A apostles, but none of us are big A apostles. Well, another common misconception is the idea that disciples and apostles are the same thing. Uh, Now, this this is confusing, right? Because we talk about the 12 disciples, and they're also called the 12 apostles. And and, and in that sense, they're interchangeable in the sense they're talking about the same people. But you find um, the word disciple... uh, referring to people beyond the apostles. Disciple means student. A disciple was someone who would uh, connect themselves to the teaching of a rabbi in the first century, and they would follow him, learning from him. And so in that sense, we think of the 12 disciples as those who were disciples. But we read in Luke chapter 10 that Christ is going to send out a group of 70 disciples, and that's the word we find in Scripture, uh, to do ministry. And so disciple uh, doesn't just mean, uh, it, is, it is a broader context or a broader word than apostle. And in this sense, we're all disciples. Uh, I like John MacArthur's definition of disciple. I heard it a long time ago that a disciple is a lifelong learner of Christ, a lifelong learner. Uh, we read over in Luke chapter 12, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, we find Jesus... Out of the disciples calling um, 12 to be apostles. Now it appears that that is not in Luke. Must be in a different gospel that I wrote down the wrong word for. Matthew, Mark. Let's try Mark. Let's try Mark 12. Sorry, bear with me, guys. My notes have failed me. And it is not Mark 12. Let's try uh, Matthew 12. I don't think it was Matthew. Well, my friends, um, give me a second, and I will go look up the reference. All right, here we go. Sorry about that. This is Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples... And chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. So you have the broader group of disciples, but within that you have 12. So what makes them different? What makes these apostles different from disciples? Well, if we turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 11, we have the reference to the fact that, the, that um, apostles are a gift to the church. They're in their own category. Uh, we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for, of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So we see here a list of offices that Christ has given to the church. And so at the very beginning of that is the office of apostle. Now, we can speak of what are called extraordinary and ordinary offices in the church. And here, I'm especially very thankful for Lewis uh, um systematic theology on this text. It's very helpful. We have ordinary and extraordinary offices within the church. You think about who are the officers at your church. At our church, they are the elders and the deacons. Those are the ordinary officers. Not ordinary in the sense that they're no good or just common. But ordinary in the sense that this is how the Lord normally works, ordinary people. Um, but you also have extraordinary or extraordinary uh, offices, and those are here in Ephesians 4, 11, three of them, apostles, prophets, and evangelists. Now, I'm going to argue that within the office of, um, of a pastor, you also can be given the gift of evangelism, but that's a topic for another day. Uh, but these three offices were up and running in the first century church, apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and were used by God in a very special way to establish his church. So what this means is that the ordinary offices of elder and deacon are continuing, but the offices of apostle, prophet, and evangelist, that these were first century offices and are no longer with us. Well, how do we know that, especially as we consider our topic for, of apostle? Well, first... We receive no instruction in Scripture about the ongoing role and qualifications of apostles. You, you think about that. We have plenty of places, well, several, I'll say <laughs> several places, where we're told. Uh, the qualifications of elders in First Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. You have especially 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications of a deacon. You see throughout the New Testament writings, uh, the epistles of the description of what elders and deacons are meant to be doing. And so we do have instruction for these continuing offices, but nowhere do we receive any instruction about the role and the ongoing office of apostle. And if, that, if, the issue, if the office of apostle was to continue, we would expect for Christ to continue to give us that instruction we need. We also see that when Paul and his ministry is going about um, and getting the churches healthy and structured well, um, we see that uh, you would expect that if the office of apostle was to continue, that he would instruct those churches about apostles And and appoint them. But over in Acts chapter 14, 23, we read of how he worked. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So we see as Paul is setting up these churches, which will be self-perpetuating in the sense that they are to continue, we see him not setting up apostles, but rather elders. And thirdly, we see that when apostles begin to die in the book of Acts, that they are not replaced. We read over in Acts chapter 12 of how um, Herod had James, the brother of John, killed. We would expect that if the office of apostle was meant to continue, that he would have been replaced. Um, okay, so why is this? Well, it's because they had a very special task of laying the foundation For the church of all ages, that's the words of uh, Burkhoff, it was a special office that God instituted and gave to the church for those early years in which the foundation of the church was to uh, be laid. All right, so there are special qualifications for apostles. Not everybody could have been an apostle. And so we have several qualifications. The first is that they had to receive a commission directly from God. Right, as we saw that earlier in the text, I couldn't find uh, in what Luke 6, in that where we ended up finding it? Um, that uh, Christ is the one who named the apostles. They did not name themselves. You see that over especially even with Paul, one as whom was untimely born uh, as he receives a special commission directly from the resurrected Christ uh, on the road uh, to Damascus. Well, so the first one is they received commission directly from God. You couldn't just name yourself an apostle. And that is a real application for those who had set themselves up now as apostles, that you just can't name yourself one. The second, they were witnesses of the resurrected Christ. This was something made very clear um, in, uh, in Scripture that they had to have seen the resurrected Christ. And we get that qualification from Acts chapter 1, verse 22 when the apostles come together to choose the next um, apostle who will replace that of Judas, which was a, a special case. Um, let's see. So they have to receive commission directly from God. They had to be witnesses of the resurrected Christ, which Paul saw on the road um, to Damascus. Um, third, they were conscious of being inspired by the Spirit in their teaching. Right? They knew that what they were saying was authoritative and true. They had special authority when they showed up in a place that they were speaking for the Lord. And that's not something that we have today. Revelation is closed. The canon of Scripture is closed. But then it was being written. That's why the letters of Paul are so important and Peter and others, because this was Scripture being written, not by men, right? They were men. Let me back up. They were men, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they were aware that that was going on. It's not just like we found these letters they wrote and thought, oh, man, this is great. They had no clue what they were writing. No, they they knew that when they were penning these letters and when they were teaching, they were speaking in a prophetic role as an authoritative apostle of Christ's church. Fourthly, they had the power to perform miracles. Uh, And specifically, these miracles were meant to ratify the message that they were putting out. Uh, Now, uh, there's no doubt that God can do miracles, that he does amazing things. We pray for healing all the time, and God heals folks uh, with, through, and against the efforts of doctors, right? But th- this is different than someone having the actual gift of healing, which was especially entrusted to the apostles. So we see with Paul's ministry that even handkerchiefs that were that he would have touched were brought to folks and it brought healing and driving out of demons. Um, and, and then finally, it's amazing that one of the qualifications is the fact that just that God blessed their efforts. And they were aware of that these men would have told you straight up that it's not them they were not doing the work i mean paul says that he was the chief of sinners um, but god especially blessed the efforts of the apostles but it all points us to the chief apostle our prophet priest and king and that is christ you, know, as you think about being the sent one well, where was christ sent from he was sent from heaven to earth to be born fully god fully man of a of a virgin To live under the law, to live the life that you and I could not, so that we might be forgiven, that we might receive eternal life, and that we might go forth as the sent ones to tell more people about Jesus.